Hello and welcome to Genre Stop, the podcast where we read and review genre fiction. You're here with Bree, me, a lover of all things speculative, and Scott. Hello. A skeptic of all things fantastical. This week for the show, we read Kate Elliott's Cold Magic. Pretty exciting. So, Scott? Feels weird to not have a guest with us. I know, I'm scared. Are you going to be as mean to me as you are to our guests? <laughs> I'll try and restrain myself. So why don't you start with telling us a little bit about the book? Why? Okay, Cold Magic's a fucking crazy book written by Kate Elliott and published in 2010. Kate Elliott is the pen name of Alice Rasmussen. Who are you hiding from, Alice? Regardless, Cold Magic tells two stories. One about girls and boys and the boys who girl them. And the other about 2,000 years of history in an alternate early 19th century Europe. Neither makes any sense. Let's start with the latter. Geographically, Europe's all the same, except for a land bridge that exists for some reason, connecting England and the Netherlands. All of our action basically takes place there. The slight, indescribable offness of making your world 95% resemble our own, but then setting all of it in the made-up 5% is representative of the book as a whole. If the geography matches, the history doesn't. The most salient historical fact of life in year 18... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. 1837, the Augustan calendar, mind you, <laughs> is the Roman Empire's failure to beat Carthage in the Punic Wars in the 3rd century BCE. Rome remained the dominant land power in the northern Mediterranean, and the Phoenicians, those are the Carthaginians, they dominated the seas and trade, and they spread out around coastal communities throughout the eastern seaboard, or the European seaboard. seaboard. Importantly, Rome never moved much further beyond the Alps. For various ununified and aristocratic Celtic polities, they ran shit up north. Basically, no barbarian invasions in late antiquity or any Germanic stamp on the Middle Ages. Rome finally falls, hilariously, in the year 1000, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, sometime around the 15th century, a salt plague or something released, quote, ghouls in Mali. <laughs> Ref refugee West Africans resettled in Northern Europe, gradually assimilating into Celtic society. Some of their holy men or something teamed up with Druids <laughs> to start something called Mage Houses. <laughs> which gradually became a parallel power base alongside the nobility in the north. Both the nobility and these mage houses are equally oppressive. For the mage houses, think of a mix between a monastery and a plantation in which the tenant farmers are in serfed <laughs> dependents. <laughs> oh, except the mage houses do magic. They call it cold magic, <laughs> although I'm not really sure why. What do you mean? It makes everything cold. <laughs> <laughs> the room freezes when they walk in. I have in. a lot of questions about the magic. <laughs> but I did think it had something to do with the fact that there are still a lot of glaciers on in the world. <laughs> the people are really interested in these glaciers. Uh, oh, yeah. They're also trolls. They live in America. This is getting unwieldy. Okay. The other thing to know is that the lower classes are getting restless. About 20 years ago, a popular general rose up on the continent to challenge the power of the nobility and the mage houses. He embodied radical reform for the lower classes. The powers that be won, and they locked him up on an island somewhere in the Mediterranean. He has since escaped. He's obviously Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> His name in the books 
Come Giotto. Shit, I thought that was a big a big moment in my notes. I wrote <laughs> Napoleon question mark. <laughs> nice. How are you pronouncing it? Come Giotto. Come Jitta. Come no, come Jitta. Forgetting there was an A in there. Yeah, yours is better. Okay. You also you haven't told about the anything about the girls or the story. <laughs> I that know. We read? I told. I said this is getting unwieldy. I'm trying to get there. This. I mean, look, I've bought into the cold magic lie, which is that any of this backstory is important. Matters Although it's all. everywhere. Okay, yeah. Um, also, there's an airship. It's getting a lot of buzz. This represents the Industrial Revolution, clearly. Mages hate airships. <laughs> how in the world can science and magic get along? They can't. That's how. Okay, so that's our world. Our entree into this world is a little girl named Cat. She's from a Phoenician family. I call her a little girl. She's 19. <laughs> I have a lot of, also a lot of questions about <laughs> the fact that she's 19 in the first 60 pages. Um, she's Phoenician. The Whoa. Ma- Phoenician? That's one of the lies the Romans told, Scott. <laughs> well, she's Kenaani. Kenaani, because they're from Canaan. But it's good that you brought that up, because they are still really mad at the Romans. Much in the same way that contemporary French won't shut up about Rollo the Viking stealing Normandy. <laughs> Cat's a normal girl, though. She plays with her best friend, B, her cousin. <laughs> Until she's forced to marry a young cold mage. <laughs> she's forced to marry a young cold mage named Andavai, who comes to her house one day. <laughs> he puts her in his secret cold mage carriage and takes her back circuitously to cold mage land i guess wait is is this the summary you're providing of the actual book well i got a little bored writing this out and now when we actually have to summarize it i don't know what to say because like i haven't even said anything that happens so what what how would you describe this i'll try to mimic a tone of like b talking to cat when they're <laughs> gossiping <laughs> okay so like and if i comes and he gets cat in his carriage and it moves really fast, and he's being totally mean to her. And like every time she looks at him, he looks at her really weird, and like she's yeah, I gross. Do this. But and, he's kind of cute, though. Well, he's really cute. She can't help but notice all the time that like his skin tone is really pretty, and she uses a lot of synonyms for brown to describe it. Um, and that you, oh, he really cares about his dress. He wears a dash jacket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. My favorite part. <laughs> is that, and I know we need to keep going on with this, but it's worth noting, she's surprised caught slash forced into this marriage, but is so, like, stealing herself for the, like, she's ready to do her wedding night duty <laughs> yeah. at, like, three different times. We can't get away from arranged marriage consummation rape in fantasy world. But um, she's, I mean, she's she knows she has to do it, and she's ready for him to come in and take what's his, <laughs> right? She's totally ready, and then... I mean, later, all the girls who are going to be sort of arranged marriage raped in this book are really excited about it. Remember the slave girl? The ma- I think it was, she said the master's going to breed on her. <laughs> <laughs> that is what she said. Right. Okay, we've we got to take the plot away. All right. Yeah, so. we're like 20 pages in right now. <laughs> so he takes her to the mage house. On the way, they stop at this inn. Everyone hates him because, like, the cold mages are really aristocratic and, you know, there's the spirit of revolution. Uh, they meet a troll. Trolls are like birds. They're like really big birds. <laughs> they have feathers everywhere. Also, you know how there's a spirit of revolution? 
She writes, there's a spirit of revolution around. Yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> okay, so they meet the troll. And that's just like, just let you know, every time you meet a character in this book, they're going to be really important later. <laughs> like they're coming in when she's hanging off a cliff. That's a nice little meeting. Then they go to the mage house. The mage master man, who has a weird name, Mangus? Mage master. Mage master. The mage master man finds out that Kat was the wrong girl he was supposed to marry B because B has special prophetic dreams. This dreaming process is referred to as like dreaming on the dragon side or something. <laughs> uh, while Kat's in the next room listening through the door, pretty close though, mm-hmm. uh, the mage master tells Andivai to go kill her. Big mistake to, to talk so loud right next to the girl. To let her kill. listen. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but she gets out of there. Don't worry. Cats always land on their feet. We'll get to oh, that. Uh, she gets out of there and then she runs. <laughs> Uh, we learned that Andavai, before he was elevated due to his super magical powers, he was one of kind of the slaves uh, on the Mage Master plantation. Yeah. So she goes, she meets his family. They help her out. They help her out due to hospitality stuff. We can talk to that. I think the book wants to care about that stuff. Okay, yeah. Then she hops over to the spirit world. She learns that she can walk in the spirit world. A magic thing called, I think, an Inu keeps calling her <laughs> keeps calling her cousin. Eru. Eru keeps calling her cousin, so she learns that like maybe she's part magic. Spoiler alert, there's a spirit world. Oh yeah, there's a spirit world. Also Oh shit, this is long. Um, yeah, we gotta, we gotta okay. move it along. Oh, also, she learned at the mage house that she is not, in fact, one of these Kena'ani people. Right. We don't really know her personage, which is disappointing because she's very invested in her dad's journals and that being part of her identity. Yes. Her so, parents died. Yeah, her parents died. So, basically, she's on the run. The spirit world helps her out. The other world helps her, her out. Andavai finds her, almost kills her, doesn't kill her, lets her go. When she comes back from the spirit world, a cat crosses over as well and turns into her brother. <laughs> so then she... <laughs> it's like a lion, and she named it Rory. It's a saber-toothed cat, actually. Rory. Yeah, she names him Rory, and then for the rest of the book, we have a human kind of acting like a cat, you know, <laughs> like slinking around the room and licking its paws. Um, so then they go, they find B. B was really mad at her parents. Oh, like you... Like how dare no, you it's do completely that? unfair. How could they do that to her? Right. So she had abandoned her parents, was staying with this Roman legate who wanted her to be his flower bride, which means a pretty awesome contract in which they have sex for one year, and then they part ways. Uh, she won't do it. The magister comes to town. There's a revolution building. He finally finds Cat and B. He's going to kill Cat and force rape B. And then Andavai stands up to him. They have a duel involving cold magic in which the room gets very cold. <laughs> And then the cold magister loses the duel and is like, and if I, sorry about that, you want to come just <laughs> stay in our house? And he's like, sure. He lets Cat off the hook to kill her. He tells B like, hey, if you ever want to marry me, here I am. And then he lets her go too. And then Andavai and Cat have an interaction in which he says that when he saw her, he realizes that she was the other part of his soul. They kiss. It feels like a lightning storm. And then they find Rory again, and B and Cat and Rory go off, find the troll, and then go, <laughs> and then go like to have an, an adventure in the next book. Oh, you know, you're leaving out. They find Napoleon. Napoleon's like, oh yeah. Napoleon comes back and says like, I need, I'm gonna use you, B. Uh, you're a dragon dreamer. Yeah, he's about to rape B. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's supposed to be like the conscience, or I mean, he's he's the hope, revolution, radical reform for the people. Okay, so regardless, yeah. Good quick plot summary there. There's a lot going on, as we see. And theoretically, this book is dealing with a lot. 
industrialization, the disenchantment of the world, in a Weberian sense, and the twilight of the old order. Practically, though, it's mostly about bewildering sentence structures. <laughs> <laughs> to start us off, I thought maybe the best way to think about this is, strangely, for only being like 10 books in, we've hit on a world that's really similar to a book we've read already, which is Goblin Emperor. In the in a structural sense, this is similar, apart from what's going on in the foreground. In the background, we have early industrialization, restless peasants and lower classes, budding revolutionary movements, discontent with the order as it is. What did you think? think did you think of these two books together? I mean, everything that was done with a kind of restraint in Goblin Emperor and that kind of built up in a way that felt kind of natural and like an explanation of, of the whole revolutionary ideology that was believable. This one, as you mentioned, just kind of slaps it on you from day one. People will come, you know, like villagers will come and be like, we're an oppressed class. <laughs> like the upper class is using us and our resources and oppressing us and this isn't right. So I thought, obviously, the backdrop didn't really matter in this book though mm. it was talked about constantly, whereas in The Goblin Emperor, I felt like it wasn't discussed constantly at all, but it did sort of matter. I feel like another big difference, though, is just their interest in character. I mean, and this isn't even so much about the world, but where The Goblin Emperor did seem kind of interested in depicting a psychological portrait of certain people, uh, the characters in this book say exactly what they think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're very... I mean, the two girls, and I can get into this, are basically like blushing, weeping, giggling things that just, you know, behave whatever they're thinking all the time. <laughs> what did you think of the backdrop? Basically, yeah, my thoughts are exactly the same as yours. I mean, I felt like, and I remember talking about it on the podcast, that I felt like the Goblin Emperor was bursting at the seams with political implications, in a way, and that literally was maybe... 1% of the actual like prose in the book was about anything like that. But it felt pregnant with that, those kind of uh, ramifications. And here, like, the politics couldn't be any more simplistically front and center. And, like, I cared nothing about them. There was it's, It was saying nothing interesting about it. It was, yeah. Totally. And I think the, the characters couldn't really even care about it either. I mean, they did think airships were cool looking. Like, they thought the whole balloon, balloon thing was cool. But even in the end when the girls go into the factory and they see like bleeding toddlers stumbling out dirty from like the main floor of the factory where they've been working all day and they're upset and they say that they're upset and they mention <laughs> the age of the children and say, did you see it was bleeding? Um, then B goes straight home. The servant Callie looks at her and goes, Callie, you're back. <laughs> Make us some dinner and start... <laughs> Make us some dinner and start oh, heating, the, <laughs> heating the water for our baths. They say that to the servant. But then there actually is a line after that, like, servants are used to this. No, it's completely, it's like the book wants, I actually think it only wants the kind of industrial revolution mm. radical thing for the steampunk clothing. I think the book is really concerned in, in clothing. You know how bad I am with clothing descriptions. Right, she kept the skirt she kept describing, yeah. and the you know the jacket had the low waist at the hips. Mm. Oh yeah, it was, a, and she kept saying like these are the new fashions, and like her aunt doesn't like them because her aunt wants her to dress like the old fashions. I think that 
like the whole thing about there being an upper class and a discontented lower class is about she gets to wear steampunk jackets <laughs> and her aunt wants her in like a Victorian dress. I did but, love the map. Well, this is, okay, so. Like the book wasn't is, concerned with it, but when yeah. you saw the map, weren't you excited? Oh, yeah. And also this gets into the fact, I mean, while wanting to set it in this world, she also was obviously interested in some kind of African mythology. The jellies, the Julie, whatever that is. That's Jelly. like it's an Jelly. African, you know, like a West African thing that exists. And the way she would talk about sort of ancient notions of kinship and hospitality. So while the book is constantly telling you that it's interested in these things, it never actually presents the myths or tell the, tells the story for more than a couple sentences. And then it'll just say, and I finished my story of our great heritage. <laughs> or And then I told her many tales of this, like the author knows that her audience doesn't care and for a book that's supposed to be about kind of the power of story and how it creates our identity and stuff like that and I think at moments it wants to be about that it doesn't care about stories at all or and, and it doesn't care about history at all which is weird or they just seem so like separate the history she sets up really has nothing to, to say about the way in which the world operates I mean she might as well have just created a new world and said like there's this like magic house that's important so some of this might have been the writing right like, this might not be intentional. This might be about the writing. Well, I think a lot of it, yeah. A lot of it's the writing. So, what do you think? About the writing? <laughs> yeah. How many know. beautiful passages did you write down? Oh, God, I have so many of my favorite lines. This this book was fucking insane to read. It's, um, it does one of those things where sentences are off or word choices are just off, and you want to read it fast, but you can't because they don't sentences don't flow well or they're just so strange. You can't say that she chooses wrong words, but just that they don't really work. Like, I mean, even within the first 10 pages, I made notes. A hot presence clattered up. I didn't know what that meant. What's, can something clatter up? Um, a scorching melodrama? I mean, it's just, do those work together? I don't know. She uses, I remember at one point she used the verb confounded, like it, something was confounded, and it just wasn't what confounded meant. Oh, no, no, not at all. I mean, so those are just like individual things that trip you up and you read it twice and still don't understand. And then there are just, they're just great, wonderful sentences. I, there's at least three that I just loved that are great. This one towards the end, her description of their first kiss, and you could just read, she'd been building up this kiss for 450 pages, that she wanted to like have this lyrical aside about how great this was and so he just, i mean she's just winging it like i'm just gonna let myself go writing about what a, how beautiful kisses are and she, <laughs> and she throws out this sentence a kiss can be like the world turning over it can be like the ride of a dragon's dream washing through the unseen world that is hidden to mortal eyes but that nevertheless permeates our being <laughs> what? is it she said something about the lightning. Washing through the unseen world that is hidden to mortal eyes, but that nevertheless permeates our being. No, I remember the kiss, and I do think it's completely the culmination of the, the, in, the lyrical interest of the writer is that passage in which they kiss. Um, which is also, I mean, the book is YA, right? It has to be. I remember when we were like thinking about doing this one and researching it, and you like... Okay, well, at least I found a review that said, like, hey, if you guys think this is YA, be warned that it's not YA. And that's actually, like, pretty hard to read. I did read. A, a... <laughs> so that made me think, like, the whole time, like, wait, why isn't this YA? Yeah, no, me too. When I was, I mean, it was is weird. It, because... did, they, did those people just mean, like, the world buildings involved? I think that this author writes a lot of YA, and this is supposed to be one of her non-YA books. Mm. So, Oof. you know, she couldn't break the mold. 
Another one of my favorite sentences. <laughs> Andavice smiled, as only the elderly can do. <laughs> a, compli- <laughs> a complicated mix of amusement, sadness, wisdom, and calculation. And he had a crinkling of the eyes <laughs> in the sympathy of his lips that made me want to like him. I mean, the thing is, you're not even reading her worst sentences. I feel like the worst stuff will just be like, when instead of saying a group of boys, she'll say a group of young people who are male. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just needlessly like complicated and strange. It's a lot of stuff like that. And you're totally right about it was weirdly hard to read. Okay, so while the writing is obviously overwrought and awkward and kind of terrible, I will say... That wouldn't have totally killed the book for me. I can get into a book like this with bad writing. Mm -hmm. You know, it can happen. Because, I mean, we're going to have to talk about the romance. Like, the book does have a romance, and the book itself is very concerned with romance. Yes. And I feel like I have two tricks that I use for getting through bad writing, and none of them totally worked for this book. Interesting. What are they? I'm intrigued. The first one is about bad dialogue. You just think of, like... Whoever the best actor or actress you can think of in your head, imagine them saying it naturally. Jonathan Lipnicki. <laughs> no, so it's basically like, you know, she'll say something really awkward, like, beneath the threshold which they called a door, <laughs> stumbled good. eloquently a tall mage under shadow. You know? And then you just imagine Meryl Streep saying it. Just the best she can. All right. Okay. That can work. That yeah, can work. yeah. And then the, the story actually becomes kind of a blueprint for a daydream rather than a book, mm. you know? Which is true because, I mean, a book like this, obviously we're meant to identify with Kat, who is extremely special in a way that no one can fathom. Everyone kind of realizes she's amazing, but, you know, no one really says it. It's like the under... So it's a, it has a daydream quality to it already. The second trick is how you can get into the romance. And do you remember those um, magic eye posters in the mall when you were little? Yeah, I'm great at those. Okay, well, I lost my ability. It's around... I'm sure you never had it. No, I, I had it for a fact check her to see if she ever had this I have ability. at least one memory of seeing it. But that's what you kind of do. You kind of unfocus from the writing and just push through it. And it kind of clicks in, in this, you know, romantic fantasy aspect. This book, those didn't really work for. <laughs> uh, because the sentences were so awkward that they were difficult. That you couldn't really just unfocus your eyes and skim through it. Until a third trick which you told me when you finished this book before I did, and I said I was having a hard time. And you said, and I still, this is the smartest thing you'll ever say. Mm -hmm. You said, just read the dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) And the book got so much better when I, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I knew what was happening in the other paragraphs. But once I actually did read the dialogue, the book picked up. Oh, yeah. Indisputably, I became kind of into it. So, yeah, in all honesty, this is like 500 pages of difficult slogging and i read 250 of those very closely and like actually lay this all out there on page six i have a note that says like i'm really into this (laughs) (laughs) something about i knew it seemed ya but it seemed really simplistic i'm like okay i can go for this now this is hitting the spot right oh the roman empire ended in 1000 sure let's do it you're phoenician okay cool if the writing hadn't been so clunky it could have been fun oh yeah it could have been fun I especially was there. after the martian because a lot of shit happens in this book mm-hmm. you know like you're 100 pages in like she's been in like a magical academy <laughs> she's wearing dresses they kill an airboat she marries a cold maid she's taken to the house yeah so okay and that's when it starts to fall off you can just tell that anything worth knowing is going to happen in the dialogue so yeah you just read the dialogue and then like 
skim real quickly, you might see like something that says plant, green, spirit world in the long paragraphs. And that's kind of what I ended up doing as well. uh, Because otherwise, the book's just too long to actually read all those paragraphs. Oh, way too long. But She's so hungry all the time, too. (laughs) Every every third page, she just wants to eat. (laughs) She she did want to eat a lot. Oh, yeah. And I mean, B, B is like a living breathing vagina yeah like i don't know like b's constantly like blushing and sweating and her boobs are always (laughs) spilling out that's my favorite wait that's my favorite part that the very the the very first time we're introduced to i know she's 19 she's they're literally written their first 50 pages like they're 13 (laughs) not even they're they're written like (laughs) eight-year-olds and she's introduced as beatrice with an ample bosom. That's how this character is introduced. I just kept think. I just kept wishing that, like, every time Kate Elliott described B the rest of the time, she would mention her breasts. Like, <laughs> like big-titted breed B ran down the hall. Um, yeah. That being said, a hundred percent, the parts I liked best were B and Cat together. B and Cat, gals being gals. Wait, they were so. I was amazed when I realized they were 19. I mean, no, actually. They seemed okay, 15 wait. to me. You've read YA books like this before. Yeah. Or in which, like, I've read the y- romance hinges upon whether you're going to kiss someone. Is this, is this how, like, these girls are described in these books? No, usually only one of them would be that way. And one of them would be, like, really <laughs> cynical. <laughs> like, have, have the cynicism of the 55-year-old author writing uh, it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, Teddy won't leave his wife. <laughs> Okay, but no, I liked, I thought the best parts of the book when they were together being sort of like sexy and oddly kissing each other a lot and hugging each (laughs) other and like talking about how much they liked each other and flirting with men and being mean to them. I mean, I thought that was fun with her gay brother, the cat, who's like a, not gay, I guess, but he's like the... Cat's gay brother? (laughs) No, cat. Or B's gay brother? Rory? Rory. Oh, wait, Rory sleeps with a girl at the hotel. No, I mean, but he, in this little, like, semi-Victorian world, he's the effete. So when they're together, that's when I was into the book most. Well, that's the first 50 pages and the last 50 pages. Yeah, I thought the book really suffered when B left. <laughs> because I also wanted, like, I thought B was hot. And I know it's because she was always mentioning her boobs. <laughs> it's, it's very easy for you. But, like, I thought B was fairly arousing, and I wanted them to hook up. I, I don't think that exists in this world. How great was it that on page one that the kitchen servant was named Cook? <laughs> I like I like that part. I like that too. Okay, as far as dumb stuff in the book, for the first half of the book, Cat, whose name is only Cat because her name is Catherine and Cat's a nickname, there's constantly these references to like a cat always lands on its feet or like I twitch like a cat or like, oh, curiosity kills some of us or something. So... F- at first, I'm just like, this is so stupid because she's not a cat. It's just a coincidence that your name is Cat. <laughs> and then, when we learn that she's, in fact, half saber-toothed cat, then I was like, at least that shit makes sense. But then it doesn't make sense why the author still does it for B. She'll be like, B looks at him. She stings. So does, like, B have a family of bub- bumblebees somewhere that are going to come in the next no, book? No, that's so... Well, you're actually giving it more credit than I was because I think... It really is. There's not anything like that before page 100. Then all of a sudden, she starts saying, like, my cat's instincts flared. 
And like 100% there was no identification with felines before that. It just wouldn't happen. Like I, I read that first part about like I landed on my feet like a cat always does. I'm like, wait, what? You haven't said anything about being named cat because you have a you act like a cat. No, that was crazy. That was out of nowhere. And well, we the heard- same thing too. Like this is less writing but just like structure and like the way you're organizing your book. Like, things out of nowhere that I'm like, wait, th- we have no... We hear that the family that Cat and Bee are from are, like, mercenaries and, like, s- spies and, like, fighters, like, on page 150. But before that, like, we've got no information about that. It's just that, like, they're in this library. They're, like, sc- I don't know, scholars or merchants. Well, I did think it was crazy. Once we start learning that about her family, then we kind of learn that there are some, like, ethnic stereotypes that they're they're looked down on for being, like, double dealers and kind of sketchy in that way. And then, in the end, we learned that they, like, totally are. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not strange that, like, you learn 150 pages in that this family is, like, soldiers or mercenaries or whatever. But, like, she... It is the writing, because she presents it like that we've all known this all along. The amount of exposition that's happening just in casual conversation is fucking insane. And I feel like, I mean, but that's when it, the book tries to get it this whole totally separate than all that other shit the oral tradition and like cultures that value oral tradition and remember she only gets out of the spirit world by telling all her stories to the julie or whatever but even her stuff about those kind of cultures she'll kind of put it out there and then totally backtrack i mean all right when she's talking about kinship when she learns that she's talking about her cat brother and how she feels him in her bones and she says and i think this is like as thoughtful as the book gets is this what kinship meant, a sense deep in your bones that the person next to you is a part of you, inextricable from who you are, that you could not be who you are without their existence as a part of the architecture of your very bones? So obviously that the writing's hard. But that's like, <laughs> she, you know, she's trying to respect this community for, you know, to an extent or these communal traditions. And then she ends that revelation, no joke, straight up quoting the Disney movie Pocahontas. <laughs> By saying, you cannot step into the same river twice. (laughs) It's the end of that paragraph. And it's crazy because even if that does turn out to be some kind of West African saying, which I guess is what she wants me to think that she researched enough to find the word to jelly, (laughs) that's crazy because I know for sure the author got that from Pocahontas. (laughs) Well, it's funny that I I thought it was great at one point when like the West African... (laughs) Randomly tosses out, there is no canoe so big that it may not sink. (laughs) I mean, all that stuff was so weird. She'd try to make it sound sort of ancient or wise. At one point, she just says, my apologies. I spoke as the alligator bites. (laughs) And then, like, a page later, she uses casually the expression, like, oh, that took forever in a day. And, like, oh, what a lame joke, B. (laughs) And she tries to mix them up in this way that becomes lunatic. It's so good. But I'm going to go back on your exhibition as part of like the oral culture because it's like it's I think it's more of like an organizational problem just of the author because I we're 270 pages in on 273 and it's just her talking while she is like just walking she's just walking in the world she's saying oh it's cold I'm cold and then she said it's easy to think while walking and then over the next literally two and a half pages she just summarizes straight everything about the world and the backstory that we'd learned up until that point. That's why your dialogue trick worked so well. So while, yeah, there are organizational problems and I do think the book's obviously a mess, there is something structurally that I think she got right. 
She just didn't fill in the formula with the right shit. And that is the climax. The climax of this book followed a formula which I find uh, really comforting and kind of fun. That is to have a big action sequence, which is her thing with the mage, then a romantic or emotional peak, which is her thing with the guy, but that can be a thing with friends in different books or finding out your father's still alive or whatever, followed by a big exposition-y reveal of one of the central mysteries of the book, in this case her parentage. And then ending the whole thing with a happy little bow of like, ah, people and their friends. I feel like that's something that a lot of genre books do. It's a satisfying conclusion in the same way that uh, structuring each chapter to end on somewhat of a cliffhanger or giving a little satisfaction at the end of each chapter is formulaic, but it doesn't bother me. And I was kind of pleased to see those things in this book. Okay, I have a question. There is... I mean, Were you saying what I see with Caterby? (laughs) the answer is both Um, there's more magic in this book than like and like blatantly magic than in any of the other ones that we've read what did you think of the magic here I mean like not just magic like magic fights like throwing cold magic at each other but like going into a spirit world and like cats who are people yeah I guess I hated the magic in this book because I didn't feel like it was clear-cut magic in the way that some fantasy books offer a system. This is how magic's done. These are the rules. I don't even really need to know the rules. This one was actually taking indigenous spiritualities and making them real. And that was the magic that they were doing. I mean, obviously, ethically, I think there's something a little gross about that. But it's fine, because I wouldn't mind so much if a book took one of the major religions and just made made that mythology real, and this is the real magic of the book. The way this book was doing it, with the writing being so dumb, and the fact that none of its concerns actually had to do with this stuff that they kept mentioning, which is actually, like, real religious shit that people believe. Not that her audience who's reading this, 13-year-old girls, are going to, like, see that as an actual valid religious tradition. They're just going to be like, oh, it's fucking crazy. Then they went to the spirit world. I thought that presentation was sort of off-putting. I mean, I guess this is kind of... It's significant because it's the first time I've had to come up with like my thoughts against actual like forthright magic in one of these books. Yeah, I mean, it didn't do anything for me. I was kind of confused in the spirit world. <laughs> I don't understand how the spirit world works. What are these places? Yeah, no, I mean, I just can't get away from the thought that I think it's kind of dumb. <laughs> right. I mean, the cold mage stuff. That was entirely different than the spirit world. I mean, they were connected in the book, but I thought those were... It was almost like reading two different books. Right. The cold magic stuff was basically fucking wizards. Right. Like they could bam each other, like have wizard duels. And the other stuff was full of like important figures in African mythology. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The giggling girlhood friendship was the best part of the book. It was kind of sexy, kind of fun. The rest of it was pretty bad. Well, here's a new segment. It's called reading the author interview at the end of the book. Oh, I, I my book didn't have, you have read one. It? No, it didn't. Well, this is this is where I read the questions that the whoever is conducting this interview asked the author about the book. Are you ready? Is like is the girl interviewing it like doing it for her eighth grade final project? <laughs> I think I can't. I can't really tell. I only read about half of it. But we do have the great question you ask all authors: Where do you get your ideas? <laughs> Number one. Number two. No, but seriously, where do you get your ideas? Wasn't happy with the answer. Number three, major influence on your writing. It's good. 
Question five. What's this outrigger canoe paddling you mentioned in your biography? <laughs> it doesn't say that. What's the official individual sport of Hawaii? Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Do you surf? How'd you get into paddling? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually so great. I wish I'd read it. I wish they put that before the book. Right? Just to like let you know what's going on. Anyway. So if every character in your book entered a flower arranging contest, who would win? Is that a question? Why? Yes. Oh, I mean, B would win, right? I don't know. B's like a living flower. Okay, uh, speaking of segments, would you live in this world? And this one is uh, almost the first of all the books we read. Like, I feel like would you live in this world is actually saying something, because there is magic present every mm-hmm. day. Um, I would do great. I would. I feel like you haven't said you would do badly in any of the world. Of course not. <laughs> I would I'd do great in all these. It's because you always position yourself as not a main character and like no one who's ever in trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. This one I start off as a as one of those poor sharecroppers on the cold <laughs> mage estate, but then they notice I have some special facility with the magic. And uh, you're Antivi. What do they call? I uh, know. I kill him earlier. They call <laughs> me into the house, and then I start having sex with all the girls around. The <laughs> I don't get in trouble apparently. Oh yeah. Okay, so you're, just to get this on record and out there in the public, you're a slave master who rapes the slave women a lot, and that's why you do well in the world. You just, you're the one who mentioned earlier that they're, like, they're more than willing to... They are super into it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything for kinship. Kinship, exactly. I mean, and she uses the kinship shit to justify that, too. It's all kind of dubious. Yes. Um, would I live in this world? I actually think I'd do pretty well in this world. Who would you be? Oh, I'm a Barahal. <laughs> you are? Yeah, I'm a Barahal. You remember the Kanana? Yeah, yeah, well, I don't care so much about my heritage, but neither do they. Mm. Um, I'm wearing, like, the sexy clothes, and it seems like all they really do is, like, read and pass books to each other, which... Books with deep, dark secrets which about I can do. Kim Giada's rebellion. Oh, speaking of books, all right, the book that she discovers that her dad or her... Adopted father, sorry. This book has stuff to say about adoption. Um, Her adopted father gives her is called Lies the Romans Told. And not that the book would have lived up to it, but that would have been such a better title. Cold Magic is actually the title before you try to think of a title. Right, but you can't do with Lies the Romans Told what she's done, as I see, with the next two books in the trilogy. Cold Fire. (laughs) (laughs) And... I don't know, Cold Steel, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's hard what to is build the, on. Uh, what's the series called? Oh, the Spirit Walker Trilogy. Spirit Walker Trilogy? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bree, what do you give? Oh, no, we need the shame factor. Oh, cringe factor. Cringe factor. No, 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 no. All right, the cover of this book has a picture of a girl. I think it's a real girl. It's a model. <laughs> um, she has pigtails in. There's kind of a steampunky machine thing behind her. This book is... Now I think about it. I mean, to say more about the industrialization part here. The book is so... I mean, it's it's crazy that they have gears on this cover because the book is so uninterested in whatever... Like I said, I mean, the airship does stand in for, hey, look, the world's changing. It's, I mean, it's so very uninterested in industrialization or like what that means or how it fits into the world, where it comes from. Apparently, it just comes from the trolls. This is actually the first book we've read with this type of cover, which has haunted me my whole life. It's a four. It's high. Mm. This is an embarrassing cover to read in public because it looks 
very YA. It looks very young girls fiction. I can't imagine seeing a man reading this book. That's that is kind of brave of me to read this. Yeah, like, you're I'm kind of like a great guy. Yeah, yeah, you're a great feminist. I was reading this, and this is the first time I ever thought, like, okay, I know what it's now. I understand, like, what it's like to read Harry Potter. This is nothing like what Harry Potter. Feel? That's fucked up. And actually, <laughs> guess what, podcast audience? Uh, Scott's never. It's called a podience. Scott's never read Harry Potter, and we're going to read one of them for this. <laughs> no, we're not. Yes, we are. We're not reading Harry Potter for this. Well, because once we read Harry Potter, you won't be, be you won't be able to say ridiculous shit like the cold magic reminds you of Harry Potter, or now you know. Or what like it's you, like you can tell, you know, like a little bit, like what I mean when I say like I feel like I understand what Harry Potter's like. I know what you're saying if you mean I've read a YA book. Yes. Yeah. Sure, I know. Okay, so Cold Magic equals Harry Potter. Thank you for agreeing. I think we're going to read the fifth one. The fifth Cold Magic? No, no, I'm not reading any more <laughs> Cold Magic. Um, Would yeah. you read any more Kate Elliott? Has this soured you on Kate Elliott? No, I'm done. I'm done on Kate Elliott. Because, you know what? Same book, same writing. If it had had sex, I would say maybe I'll read more Kate Elliott. I mean, yeah, this seems... Yeah, not to preempt my final saying, but like I said, I came in, especially after The Martian, which was a bad... Bad, bad book. More open, amenable to like what this book or any book was was throwing down than I've been in a while. I'm like, all right, this backstory is insane. Let's just do it. With that, it squandered that much goodwill. Says something. I mean, based mostly on its presentation. Yeah, exactly. It's rough. All right. So, what do you give the cover? I gave it a four. I give it a three. Three? It is like it because she's pretty? I do like that they picked a model I find attractive. It seems like a Harry Potter cover. Ugh, okay. <laughs> so final rating? Yeah. I'll go first. You go first. All right, I gave The Martian, what, a, a two? two? I'm going to give this book a 3.5. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, Why the, is that? The writing was terrible in this book, but once I Terrible started, in a different way than The Martian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible in a way that was clumsy and awkward and difficult, oh. but at least I felt like there was a, a demented spirit guiding this book. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That I found more interesting than anything in The Martian, and that at least a couple times reading this book, I put it down and thought, I'm going to search for fantasy erotica and read that online instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, something in this book inspired me in that way. You think there's any, like, Brie Cat slash shit? It's B, not Brie. Oh. Second time you've done that. I keep putting you in her frame. <laughs> I do love to identify with her. Uh, fuck yeah, there is. But like, I bet there's more. I mean, it's referenced that her biological mother, who, by the way, has one eye, one arm, <laughs> is like a fucking mauled Amazonian warrior, that she had sex with a saber-toothed cat. So I'm sure there's a lot of good fan fiction out there. I was mostly doing like hound rape Sansa, but... Mm. Yeah, so uh, considering the kind of fun in those ideas, considering that this was following a formula that I would enjoy if the writing was a little better, yeah, it's definitely above the Martian for me, easily. But it's not good enough to get a four because I found it really difficult to read until I stopped reading all the paragraphs. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. How about you? Um, This book benefits from coming right after the Martian. I can say, I mean, it's, it's hard to... After reading The Martian, we didn't really give it enough. I remember going online and looking at reviews, and regardless of whether people liked it or not, the fact that they weren't basing that on how poorly written it was, and not just like anything else, was insane to me, that someone can read something that felt like it was an 
an actual Martian giving a go at this thing humans call novels <laughs> yeah, or like yeah. writing. It was written in the most like, this is a person who's never read a book and it's mean. He's read two books. <laughs> no, that's also mean. I don't know. I mean, it's the writing there. There was something kind of like precociously novice about it. And this one, again, so the bad writing was of a completely different level and of a like you're just, you know, you're shooting for the stars and you're not getting that far. I could I could deal with its mad scientist kind of quality too, which is good. And like the crazy playing around with this world and then not actually factoring any of that into the story itself, I thought was just brazen hilariously, <laughs> which was great. Um, and again, you know, I was I was stupidly optimistic for the first hundred pages and was had a lot of goodwill towards it. It got really bogged down when they just went on their little like cold mage walkabout and mm-hmm. tried to do stuff. But it, kind of like the school stuff I was into and it was a nice thoughtless read. I'm gonna give it a four. I give it a better score than you. I might want to elevate it to a four now. What? No, 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 I don't. Okay. I don't. Okay. So join us next week when we read Scott, what are we reading? We don't know. Soft voice goes on and on. I hate you, I hate you.